Fueled by Temperance Spirits, Edmonton's leading non-alcoholic beverage provider. Order online for doorstep delivery. Welcome back to Game Over Edmonton, your local leader in post-game Oilers analysis. In this episode, it's fueled by Temperance Spirits, the city's leading non-alcoholic beverage provider. Visit Temperance online for a curated section of non-alcoholic options. Choose from a variety of craft beers, mocktails, wines, and spirits. Temperance isn't just a retailer. It's a community of Edmontonians who celebrate the spirit of socializing without the need for alcohol. And with Temperance Spirits online shop, ordering your favorite non-alcoholic bevies right to your door is as easy as Connor scoring the winning goal. You can find our partners at Temperance online at www.temperance-spirits.com for delivery to your door. And use the code SDPN for 10% off your order at checkout. And give them a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Temperance Spirits. The NHL season's heating up and there's never been a better time to get in on the action. Whether you're looking to hammer home and Leon Dreisaitl anytime goal or ride the puck line with the Edmonton Oilers, our partners at Sign Up Expert want to make sure you're ready to sweat your bets with one of the best. Sign Up Expert is hooking up our listeners with one of the newest sports books available in Canada, Batana. Batano is home to some of the best odds when it comes to betting on the NHL and offers unique markets, including virtual soccer and basketball. All you have to do to get started is scan that QR code on your screen or click the link in the description to register and place your first bet. If you thought Jack Campbell ending up on waivers was the best surprise of the season so far, wait until you try Batano. You heard the man. Don't walk. Run to check out Botano today. Scan that QR code or hit the link in the description below to get started. Start sweating your bets with the best. And always remember to bet responsibly and within your means. Viewers must be 19 plus to sign up for Botano. Yo, yo, yo. What is up? What is up? We are live. Game over. Edmonton. The start of things, it looked good. Edmonton was rolling up 2-0, but they fall tonight to Tampa Bay, 6-4 on the road. It's your boy, Avery Lewis McDougal here hosting tonight. And back again for a second time on Game Over Edmonton, it's Jason Adams. So, buddy, how you doing, Jason? Well, you know what? I was, I was doing pretty well, and then, uh, you know, things started to go bad, and then we got up again, and I was doing better, and then now, now I'm a little grumpy, but other than that, I'm, I'm well. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> of course, of course, you know, <coughs> Edmonton, this is a game in which the Oilers come into Tampa Bay, Jason. They're on a three-game road trip. They're getting the new coach bump. Things look good. They go up two zip. They get – this is a game in which it starts off with scoring from depth scoring, and then after Edmonton goes up 2-0, the final four minutes of this game was just a game in which they couldn't sustain. They, they got shots on net, but they couldn't get anything again past Tampa. Over 40 shots on net. And this is a game in which there were just too many miscues defensively. And unfortunately, they could not get a timely save from Stuart Skinner, Jason. Yeah, yeah. I I'll preface this by saying I think Stuart Skinner has been you no, know, he's he's had a really good last three games before this one, and I think um, a lot of what's gone south this season isn't necessarily on him. I mean, there's been some defensive issues in front of him, and you know both him and Campbell have had their share of struggles. But yeah, it's it, it's hard to hard to win a game in this league when your goalie gives up five. Um, 
you know, there's some funny bounces in front of him. There were some, you know, defensive miscues, but, you know, ultimately, you know, you let in five with the goalie in and you let in one more, like you're not winning a lot of games in the NHL where you allow six goals. And that's kind of the long and short of it is that it doesn't matter whether the goal actually played well or not. It's the fact that, you know, you let in six, like regardless of who's at fault. So you're, it's really tough to win in that scenario. No, of course. And it was a game in which to start, I mean, <clears throat> The start looks fine. They were on tempo aggressively. They're controlling the pace of play. We saw they got they got, they got a shorthanded goal. Derek Ryan, someone who I want to see a little bit more of in this early going on season, gets his first goal of the year. A greasy goal, a goal in which it didn't really wasn't really a shot, like a whiff that got past that mind. This is a game in which Edmonton came out flying. They were up 12-4 in shots. They also got a goal from James Hamblin. His first NHL goal, a career goal, which was great to see him. We know. His story, he's battled hard to make it to the NHL undrafted free agent player. And yeah, that's, that's your feel-good moment of this game, for sure. Um, it's, it's Hamblin managing the pot one and you know, pointing pointing up to the rafters. And, yes. you know, that's a thing. things were going so well and, until they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Just seeing how they were dictating the pace and pushing back against Tampa Bay. And, of course, you know, of course, yes, there's no um, Vasilevsky, but it's still a dangerous team that still has Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov. This is a team that is still one of the better ones in Eastern Conference. And the fact that they couldn't sustain that, and the fact that this effort just dropped off and just could not stay what they had, was very disappointing in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it was, like like you are saying, you know, the others finally got some uh, some contributions from their bottom six, and they've been waiting for that kind of all season long. Um, you know, like Fog- Fogel's potted a couple, but I think two of his three goals came when he was playing in the top six. and. Mm-hmm. Really, other than that, no, nobody had done much of anything to this point. You know, you've got Connor Brown, who earned a nice big bonus today and uh, hasn't put up a point yet, which is something we can maybe talk about later. But, uh, you know, McLeod hasn't managed a goal going into today. You know, Hamblin hadn't had anything. Ryan hadn't had, had anything. I'm not quite sure why Adam Ernie is, is still on the team, but he hasn't got one either. You know, they called up Lavoie, who I think has had some good moments, but he hasn't produced either. So, for this team to get three goals from its bottom six and still not pull out a win, it's it's pretty disappointing. No, of course it is, and and <clears throat> on, on most teams, on most if, you, if your bottom six is producing, that's a really good thing. But again, this is an effort in which uh, the bottom six steps up, and then everybody else, for the most part, fell off. I know you. I know there's. It's good and bad. It's good and bad to see McDavid and Drysaddle not be in the score sheet. It also means you know yes, you're getting scored from elsewhere. But you want to see your top dogs score in key moments. And we didn't get that from Dry or McDavid today, Jason. Yeah, and I mean, I, I kind of said it before uh, before we got on live here is, you know, like try, try to explain to last year's versions of Avery and Jason that Edmonton was <laughs> losing games because of its power play. <laughs> you know, the, the idea of it is absolutely ridiculous. But it's, it's true. Like Edmonton had opportunities today. They went 0, 0 for 5 on the power play. Um, they couldn't get a goal on the power play when they needed one. Um, and unfortunately, that's, you know, I, I I try not to critique those guys too, too much because mm-hmm. they have produced really well for this team in the past. They've done some incredible things, you know, provided some incredible moments. Um, but Connor McDavid and Leandre, I said, old point blank have not been good enough, especially over the last, you know, week, 10 days, two weeks, something like that. And there's going to be ebbs and flows as, as the season goes on. But I don't think 
McDavid or Drysaddle can be very happy with their performances of late, and I'm sure they're going to pick it up. It's going to come back around. I'm not really worried about it, but like you know, like I said, if you know you've got your Derek Ryan's and your James Hamblin's producing, but McDavid and Drysaddle can't, you know, can't put up much of anything, then it's it, it's tough. I mean, we watched this team for so long that couldn't get anything done unless McDavid and Drysaddle made it happen. So. When your bottom six does chip in, you really need your star players to be your star players and then put some goal, put some put some goals on the board. And they just they didn't do it. They haven't done it a lot lately, which is concerning. No, of course. You mentioned the power play. Of course, you mentioned right there. Like last year, I'd have been laughing if you told me the power play was gonna be the Achilles heel in a game like this. It goes 0 for 5. And the power play this year, it's not it's not of course it's not gonna break the record this year. It's not bad, but yeah. seeing them having games in which there's nothing right in the power play to man advantage. It doesn't make sense because I, there were chances in which you thought Empton would get at least one or two power play goals here. And the fact that they had five cracks it and got nothing is incredibly surprising. Yeah. I mean, last year, they the power play produced at a historic pace. And, you know, credit to the other teams in the league, obviously. Like, this is the best hockey league in the world with the best coaches in the world and the best, you know, video equipment and reviews in the world. Like, these yeah. these teams watch videos. They understand what Edmonton's going to try and do. And they devise coaching strategies to stop them. So, <laughs> I think there's a part of that in play here. But at the same time, I mean, McDavid not being anywhere near 100%, dry settle in a bit of a slump and, you know, it's it's kind of underreported. Again, I love Ryan Nugent Hopkins, but I don't think he's been playing to the level he can too. So I think there's a lot of a lot of guys in slumps right now at the top of the lineup. And you know, Edmonton isn't really gonna put a lot of wins on the board unless they're getting the performances they come to expect from McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, is that McDavid and Drysaddle's fault? No. I I, <laughs> I have more blame for the guy that put the put this team together. Um, but the fact of the matter is the others aren't going to win many games where McDavid and Drysaddle aren't making it happen personally. No, exactly. And, you know, the one good thing was that, you know, too many times we've seen the Oilers over the years play down to when a team has a backup goaltender or goaltender on one in net. The good thing is that they did get over 40 shots on net on Tampa. But, again, what good is it if you, if you can't score? That's the big thing. It's like, yes, they got production. Yes, they got everybody shooting towards net. But the fact that you... Only got you only got four goals. You couldn't get find a tying goal against the back of net mine there. It's it's a tough look right now, really. And it's it's an interesting it's an interesting point because you look at how the Oilers are constructed. Mm. At some point, you feel like they decided they had McDavid and Drysaddle and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and figured they had enough talent and needed to add some grit to it. So that's why you, you bring in. You know, Zach Hyman and Vander Kane, not that those guys aren't talented, but I would call them more more of a volume shooter than a finisher. Um, They're not guys that really like put up like eye popping finishing numbers in their career. Um, And the problem with that is that when you get into funks like this, like obviously Kane had three the other game, but you know, if McDavid and Drysaddle aren't the ones pulling the wagon, then who is? You know, Mm -hmm. Kane did it last game, good for him. Bouchard had three points, which, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to Bouchard later. There's maybe a polarizing player on the Oilers right now. Um, But uh, that's that's the challenge, right? Like, you you have this team that can put up very good analytics and create a lot of chances, but, you know, outside of McDavid and Drysaddle is in terms of, like, a true one-shot scorer, there's, there's not a lot there, and there's definitely not a lot lower down the lineup. So 
again, I don't know if you know this, but um, the Oilers' record when they have more than 40 shots this year is 0-5-1. They have lost six games, but they have over 40 shots, and they haven't won a single one. So is it getting goalied? Is it flawed construction? Is it a combination of things? It's it's hard to say, but I, I would think that, you know, if you're losing games to Jonas, Jonas Johansson or Jonas Johnson or whoever was in net for Tampa today, I mean – that's that's not that's not what you want. Mm-hmm. And he played well enough to win. Like I wouldn't say he had a good game by any stretch, but he did everything he needed to do for his team to win. And you know, Skinner didn't. And I don't think Skinner's been bad. It's been pretty good of late. But again today, like you know, he had an eight hundred or an eight twenty one or something like that. And you're you're just not gonna win a lot of games with those kind of numbers. No, exactly. And you mentioned, yeah, and this so this year the Royals have lost Jonas Johansson. And Mackenzie Blackwood in the same season, like that is just no matter how you cut it, like that yeah. cannot that cannot happen. And you mentioned with Stuart Skinner, I've I've been a very big fan of Stuart Skinner. I think he's going to be a NHL for a very long time, but he's not the guy you can roll right now for 25, 30, 35 games in a row. This is the kind of guy yeah. he needs help. And unfortunately, you mentioned the construction that falls on Ken Holland and the contract worth Jack Campbell where he's put this team in a spot in which a sophomore goalie has to save this team and it's a horrible spot for the, to put the guy in. For sure. And it, it was the exact same situation last year, too. You know, Campbell was virtually unplayable. Um, he wasn't good from the start. He continued not being very good throughout, throughout the season. Uh, towards the end of the year, he had a couple good starts against Anaheim, who was playing up the stretch at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, no matter how you slice it, one way or the other, the Oilers have to get another goalie. They they have to bring somebody in, and it's going to have to be a trade because Jack Campbell doesn't look like he's anywhere near being any kind of an answer at the NHL level. Like he went down to the AHL and he got he got smacked around by the Calgary Wranglers. And at some point, you feel bad for the guy because obviously he doesn't want to be in this position. No. And his his agent did his job, got him got him a good contract. You know, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Campbell to get a contract like, like that, so he signed it. I mean, no ill will towards him, no ill will to Nurse, who's the other over, overpaid guy of this roster by quite a lot. But, I mean, at some point, you have to point the finger at Ken Holland. I mean, he's gone through one coach, he's fired his second coach. You know, now he's there's rumors that he's been set aside or not really allowed to make any of his own decisions, but... I mean, if you look at this roster, this is a roster that is now five and ten, with no cap space, with very limited um, capital of trade uh, prospect pool that is comfortably in the lower third. You know, to say that you know, generously of the NHL, I mean, there's there's not a lot of options for a team that wants to turn it around and turn it around quickly. Like, if the Oilers don't have the pieces in place right now. I don't know how they get them. I mean, you could look at a lower end cheaper option. I've said a couple times. I'd love looking to like you know Alex Leon in uh, in Detroit, or you know another team's younger goalie. I mean, Brad Holland was in uh, watching Montreal last night. You could look at Caden Primo, but I mean those guys aren't really answers. Those are guys that can maybe come in and spot Skinner out. But I mean, it's it's Skinner and it's basically nobody else at this point unless they can pull off something shocking. No, exactly. You mentioned the record now. This is a team that only has five wins, and, and now they go they continue their road trip. They're playing they're playing um, Florida. They got the Capitals coming up, and again, I know right now this team. I do think this team will get out of the slump, 
but everybody above them in the Pacific Division and the Western Conference is still finding ways to get wins. You're still seeing Vancouver win games, Vegas still winning games, uh, Anaheim, LA. Even talk about if you were talking about say like a wild card spot, okay, they got to deal with the fact that Nash, they got to deal with the fact that teams like Arizona are still in the mix yeah. of a wild card spot in the West. Like it's not going to be easy for this team to catch up. So and they can't have games like this in which and they can't drop any more games like this where they're up multiple multiple goals against like Tampa Bay and get and get leave with no points. They have, they got to find a way to close these games out to catch up yeah. in the division battle, Jason. Yeah, and I think if you look at you know some of those better teams in the league than the Oilers are, I think you know Vegas finds a way to get a point out of this game at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Vancouver is having the craziest PDO run I've ever seen. So, uh, I mean, with Thatcher Demko playing the way Thatcher Demko is, I mean, no way Tampa gets six in this game. So, uh, I'm not saying the Oilers are have to or are capable of going out and getting a Thatcher, Thatcher Demko inside of drafting one. I mean. How badly could this team use a guy like Jesper Wallstead in the system right now? Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, you, you have you have to bring in another body, and I think at this point, like the Oilers can kiss a dream of a division title goodbye. I mean, they're not catching um, Vegas, or they're probably not catching Vancouver. Um, they're very likely looking at a wild card spot at best, and I th- even then, it's probably 50-50. So they're they're in a deep hole, and it's going to be really difficult to come out of. Like they basically have to win, you know, like f- three of every four games, like from now till the end of the season to, to get into it. <laughs> right, uh, and that's going to be really tough. I mean, the previous years, like the Oilers have been one of the better teams in the league after Christmas, and maybe they've got it in them again. I mean, who knows? But. I don't think they can just sit on their hands this time until the trade deadline and then make a big deal, make a big trade for an Ekholm type and, and hope it saves them. I, have, I think they need to make a couple of moves here. I think they need to do it very soon because every loss just puts them further behind the eight ball. Yeah, no, it's completely true. And talking about the guys who are on the ice tonight. Now, someone who, someone who we mentioned the polarizing figure, it is Evan Bouchard playing in his 200th game tonight. Now, granted, there have been, uh, granted, yes, this year has been a bit of a challenge at times for him defensively. But offensively, he comes in here tonight, gets a goal. He looked great offensively. He looked better uh, offensively defensively. But I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be in the camp that wants to say uh, Bouchard cannot play defensively or he cannot be a responsible D-man. Again, he's still learning, he's still learning, he's still developing and growing. I still think that Bouchard, I'm not going to be there and say he can't be a, a defenseman bench him like i've seen i've seen some takes saying how bouchard should be sent out to bakersfield that to me is inc- that to me is ridiculous that's ridiculous <laughs> this this fan base can produce some really wild takes sometimes especially <laughs> when they're frustrated um and you you look back like you know even when paul coffee was a player there were members of this fan base that hated him and wanted to be honest as soon as they could um there, there are people that are never going to be happy with a defenseman unless they're throwing huge bone crushing hits and going off the glass and out every time i mean that's just what some people like um when you're a guy like Evan bouchard and you have the puck on your stick and you're looking to make plays and you're looking to make things happen you're going to make mistakes it's 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 going to happen um, but I would rather have a guy that can make plays and will make the odd mistake than a guy that can't make any plays. Uh, I mean, uh, Deharnay hasn't been bad this year, but I think that's what you look like when you get a guy that can't make any plays and is sound defensively, I suppose, but he's been getting turnstile a couple times too. So with Bouchard, I think you have to take the good with the bad. He's not 
never going to be Scott Stevens back there. <laughs> he, that's just not how he's wired. That's not how he is. I mean, there's things that can be coached out of his game. There's been a lot said of his urgency or seeming lack of urgency. Um, and I think that is that in itself is a good thing and a bad thing too, because sometimes you want a player that doesn't get rattled easily, that doesn't, you know, they used to call it having ice water in their veins, but no matter what happened, they stayed cool and calm out of pressure. But you know, Bouchard is Bouchard's an interesting case because I think if you look at his underlying numbers, his in-zone defense is pretty good, but where he struggles is on the rush, and the Oilers have struggled on the rush all year long. So what has happened there to make that a thing? I'm not sure. I know maybe not blocking coffee can figure that out, but you know, something happened that the Oilers really started to struggle on rush plays and it's uh, it's crept into everybody's game. I mean, I don't think you could look at any defenseman today and say they had a, they had an A plus game. I think any one of them made a pretty major mistake on a goal against. I mean, God knows there were enough goals against. So it's uh, it, it's challenging. I mean, I, I like Bouchard. I think he's very good. I think he brings a ton to this team. But there's no denying he has his struggles defensively too. So mm-hmm. the challenge is on Knobloch is to you know how to handle that. No, exactly. Yeah, no. Every defenseman on this team today had a had an error. I mean, we saw it again when Tampa tied this game at four on the power play. We saw that Tampa cycle, the puck rapid fire going in the slot, gets Stamkos, and that really should be on Cody Ceci's play right there. He's not yeah. there, and Skinner has no chance. Stamkos ties up, and it's like that's just a big learning error in terms of how Tampa was able to exploit everything via the power play, Jason, quite easily. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that goal specifically, you can't you, you can't hang that on Skinner. Like, no, nobody's <laughs> talking that. Uh, the Janot goal. I mean, could he have gotten over it a little bit faster? Yeah, I think he could have. Um, Bouchard didn't make the best play. He could have at the blue line, but again, if you watch that play, he had to make that play because Leon Drysaddle sent a spinning backhand at him that he had to receive off the boards on his backhand, which puts him in a tough spot. I mean, if I'm the coach, I'm probably telling him at that point, you know, just abandon the zone and you know, pass it back to your D partner, <laughs> like give up the pressure. But he, he elected not to, which was a mistake. Um, like I said, I don't think Drysaddle played that goal very well. I don't think Nurse played that goal very well. And Skinner, I don't think played that goal very well either. So, you know, that was one of those plays where, you know, no matter like whoever you think is the most culpable for it, I mean, you're probably right. All four of those guys had something to do with that goal against no, it's true. And and then, it, of course, and that fifth goal, Luke going to ice in the game. That was a game where it just... That was just prob- that was probably one of the worst changes they've had this year in which it turned into just organized chaos. Gun then gets in, beat Skinner, and I thought to myself, like, wow. It was a, it was like a team that didn't know when to change. It was just, it was just pure confusion. And again, yeah. that, again, that can't happen with this team. It can't happen where a change that bad allows when they come in and score the game winner and that absolutely baffles me because every guy every defenseman Edmonton has was here last year and Edmonton has had a number of really egregious terrible changes this year like remember that one game they had two bench miners yep. for two on the ice I've never <laughs> seen that before <laughs> or no they had three that game yeah three like, like, That's insane. Like, like, so I don't know what has happened. I don't know what's wrong with the communication. I don't know if it's a leadership issue. I don't know if it's a coaching issue. But yeah, the line changes this year have been bad. And they need to figure it out because it's costing them games right now. Yeah, it really is. And and so what's the solution? Well, you can't you can't fire Chris Knobloch now. Like, you can't just say it's all coaching. Like, we've seen this happen um, now through Woodcroft and now Chris Knobloch, these odd changes. It's really bizarre. Yeah. And it's been said more than once, like the issue with this team right now is individual mental errors. 
And something simple like line changes. I mean, like these these guys have been playing hockey their entire lives. They shouldn't necessarily need a lot of coaching and how to change players. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this is a, this isn't Pee Wee. Like these are NHL defensemen. Some of them with careers in, in the, you know over a decade. In, in the case of you know a guy like Nurse or a guy like uh, Matthias Ekholm. You know Brett Kulak's been around a long time. Uh, I mean, like to f- think that these guys can't figure out line changes. I-, I don't know how to make it more basic than that. Like, don't get on the ice until the other guy is almost off. I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward, <laughs> right? Like, it is. <laughs> like, it is. Oh, like there, there's been little individual plays. There have been little things that we've seen the Oilers do that you mentioned. Jake. You're right. Like these are things you don't see kids in Pee Wee or Midget do, or they work themselves out of, and it's tough because. Being in the room, you hear these guys say, we have to clean up certain things, know what to clean up. But when you see the mistakes repeated over and over and over again, it gets pretty frustrating to watch. It really does. It does. And like, like, like what do you do about it? Do they need a change back there in terms of personnel? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you'd execute that. Like, basically everybody they have is either locked in via their contract or they can't really afford to move anybody. I mean, I, again, I've seen a few people suggesting ever Bouchard get traded, but oh, I think right. that's nonsense. <laughs> so, to me, the obvious guy, if you're going to look for an upgrade to be moving out is Cody CC because his contract is movable. It's an acceptable amount. He's, he's okay at what he does. Like he's a four or five that sometimes gets forced into playing, you know, a number two role, which he shouldn't be. Um, and if you're looking to bring in a defenseman, I think he's the obvious guy to go out. But I mean, what's Cody CC by himself bringing? Probably not a lot. So then you're adding, you know, a guy like Borgo. You're adding your first round pick. You're probably adding adding another salary, and then you're getting into a lot of assets going out. And then you still don't have goaltenders. So, <laughs> so the, the problems with this team are they're running pretty deep right now, and. You know, I partially understand why they got rid of Woodcroft because they couldn't do nothing. But at the same time, they have some holes. And the holes that they have in terms of needing a scoring winger, needing help on the blue line, needing a goalie, those are the same holes that were existent when Ken Holland took over the team. <laughs> you know, now he's four and a half years into his tenure here and we still have the same problems. So, you know, what's what's he been doing in this time right Uh, i don't think he's been all bad but he certainly hasn't been you know an a plus gm which you would think we would be getting with how much he makes in a season i think he's the highest paid gm in the league Mm -hmm. i I believe so and yeah it's really bizarre and it's clear but you're right it's clear that this is a year in which ken hall is more of a figurehead it's really more the power has gone towards jeff jacks in terms of moves and he'll have his own guy in place come 2024, 2025. It's interesting because I mentioned that. And I've heard, I've heard for the most part, zero leaks. There's been no leaks coming out. Like usually you hear a name or two leaking out. I've heard nothing in terms of who could be the next GM. And maybe, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe Jackson looks for someone who's more progressive and someone who we yeah. don't think to be a GM coming, coming next summer. Well, I, I think probably the next guy was Steve Steos, but uh, that should right. have So, <laughs> So who's up next after that? I mean, you could look at Brad Holland. You could look at Keith Gretzky. But I, I would really hope they would go outside the organization with this one. There's a number of very talented AGMs and other teams. Um, you know, Eric, Eric Tulski in Carolina is probably the most popular one. 
Um, but there are, there are some other ones as well. Um, Matthew Darsh in, uh, in Tampa, I mm. think there's, uh, there's a guy in Toronto whose name I can't remember. That would be also, also a pretty good decision. I was looking into it a little while ago and those are the three names that kind of stuck out with me, but, uh, yeah, no, there's, it's, it's tough. I mean, the Edmonton way would just be to hand it to the next man up, which would be Brad Holland. But I mean, he's got very little experience in this role. And experience isn't necessarily always the be all end all. But at the same time, I mean, there's there's guys that have been AGMs in the roles around the league for 10, 15 years. Um, they're still relatively young and relatively progressive. So I would really hope, like, please, for for once, can this organization <laughs> execute a proper search and qual and interview a whole bunch of qualified candidates and make the best hire based on that instead of just blowing their stack and hiring the next guy that is available out of Hockey Canada. I mean, to to go along with uh, with Holland probably hanging him up after this year, I really hope Bob Nicholson does too. I mean, I know he's not really doing anything important these days, but he should have been gone with Pete Shirelli. No, I I don't blame you. And the, the fact of this team, how it came out, what, a couple of years ago, that they interviewed Bill Zito for, what, two hours and still didn't hire him? That's yeah. a facepalm moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's Bill Zito even done? You know, who's that guy? <laughs> oh my gosh, we know Florida's got... been terrible ever since, right? Right? No, they've never, they never, they didn't. It is like they beat the Boston Bruins last week to a cup final. No, not Florida. <laughs> I mean, as, as long as you pretend that hockey doesn't exist outside of Edmonton, it was a great, great hire. You know, bring in, bring in Ken Holland, bring in the next old hockey guy next. I mean, it's it's just depressing. Yeah, it honestly is depressing. Um, because this, you know, it's, it was touched on. It was said by the team. It's been said by you know coaches. Been said by management, by fans. I mean, the Oilers need to need to do something this year. I mean, I uh, cup or bust might be down and gone the road and over and done with. But you know, even though the team's five and ten, they they need to they need to go for it this year. You know, we've got Leon Drysaddle is. Um, you know, unrestricted free agent after next season. McDavid is up the one after that. Um, a number of their contracts are structured to expire at the end of next season. So, I mean, figure if Holland's a figurehead or not, and I don't really care at this point. Like somebody that is making the decisions and has the power to you know make these things happen needs to execute a move to help this team and it's probably going to be in goal a defenseman wouldn't be a bad choice either i mean they're not scoring a lot either so they could look at a forward too i mean really wherever you look and the oilers need help except for center i'd say they're pretty good some people yeah. don't like Ryan mcleod i think he's fine um left defense i mean you've got a ton of money on lefty anyway so yeah i mean so somebody has to still have the power and the decision-making capacity in this organization. And whoever that person is needs to recognize that things are bad and uh, they they need some help. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned go for it. Yeah. This can't be another year of waiting for next year, waiting for next year. Again, you have dry saddle McDavid in their prime. You got to got, you still have uh Hyman, you still have Ryan Nugent Hopkins and this team right now, five, 10 and one, and they are seven points back with Anaheim. Like I did not predict coming to the season, Jason. That they would be seven points back of Anaheim, five points back of Seattle, and three points back of the Flames. I didn't have, have, have that in, in my card 16 games into the uh, campaign. <laughs> well, 
Well, and, and hockey is such a game of confidence too. I mean, you give a young group like Anaheim has a taste of success. They're, mm. they're trusting their young guys. They've got Mintukov in the lineup who's playing very well. They've got you know Mason McTavish. They've got Troy Terry. I mean, Zagres isn't having a great year, but you know he's still up in the lineup. They've, they've got a lot of talented young players that are riding a confidence high right now. I mean, will it last? I mean, hard to say, but... Um, when everything is going well, when you're a young player, you feel like you could conquer the world. I mean, maybe it'll start to tail off when uh, you know gets into the season and they get into the you know the doldrums a little bit and things get tough, things get difficult. But I mean, nobody had Anaheim being this good. Nobody had um, Arizona being this good. Certainly, nobody had Vancouver being this good. But nobody had Edmonton being this bad either. No. And there's there's some encouraging things in the underlying numbers, but there's some disparity between the public available numbers and the private available numbers. So are the Oilers as good as the underlying numbers say they are? I mean, probably not. Um, and they're certainly not in terms of, you know, getting their, you know, finishing their chances and keeping pucks out of their net. No, exactly. And now Oilers, they have their next three games in the road trip mentioned off the top. They got Florida, Carolina, and Washington. And really, on this road trip, from my mind, really, you have to, I think, you have to win at least – Two of the next three. Ideally, you want to go three and zero, but I think you have to minimum go two and one before you play Anaheim back at home on next Sunday. Yeah, I would say that. And if you look at all, you know, the teams straight through to the end of the month when the Oilers have their break. I mean, there's 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 no easy easy teams there. You know, like there's like you said, there's there's Florida coming up, there's Carolina coming up. They've got Washington on on Friday for American Thanksgiving. I mean, Washington's eight and six now. They they started this year terribly, but they've they've pulled it together and they've, they're playing some good hockey and they're getting some saves, which would be nice. <laughs> yeah, no, it would be nice. And for those of you watching on. YouTube, please, if you have any questions, fire them your way. We'll get to them here on Game Over. Let me before we wrap, before we wrap things up here on the show. And I, I know I saw you mentioned the, I mentioned the, um, the D-man. I mentioned Evan Bouchard. And wow. Again, Twitter, there's always an opinion on D-man. There's always takes good or bad. And once again, we saw, I mentioned his contract, Darnell Nurse, the 9.25 deal. Again, I don't blame Darnell for taking that contract. I said before, like... Yeah. If if, if if I was Arnold's agent, I would tell him take the money, dude. Like that's, that's life changing money. But it's tough because there are moments where Darnell does make a great play. We've seen him before have great plays in three on three, great plays offensively. But again, this was was a, this was a game in which he's out of position today, and unfortunately, with that kind of contract, those mistakes that Darnell makes gets magnified even more due to the money he's making right now in this roster. Absolutely, and it's. It's not necessarily fair, and I mean he's he's commented on it himself, and you know it's it, it's tough, but I mean the, them's kind of the breaks when you get a contract like that. Like teams and fans want you to play up to it, and he, he hasn't. And you know it's it's not to say he's he's not useless. You know he does he does do a lot of good things. I think he's a top pairing defenseman. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a number one, um, but ultimately, like you said, because of the, because of the contract he has, he's going to be he's going to get a lot of scrutiny, and I don't know. Obviously, he doesn't particularly like that too much, but I think he understands it. Um, but he's being paid like one of the top five defensemen in the NHL, and with all due respect to Darnell Nurse, he ain't that. <laughs> so 
I mean, it's it's challenging because you know what what do you do um, with that contract? I don't think he's movable, and he's got trade protection anyway, so you're kind of stuck with it. But I mean, that that kind of has a whole trickle down effect on the rest of the defense, and it's it's challenging because I'm sitting here thinking about what like what specific what specifically the team needs, and it's got a fair bit of needs, but. I think they're they're really missing that kind of glue guy. Does that if that makes sense? You know, like they they've had that guy a long time ago in Matt Hendricks. I think mm-hmm. they had that guy last year in Clint Costin. You need that guy around when things get tough, especially because he is the type of guy like Costin or Hendricks or even Gagne for to a point this year too. He's the guy that keeps things loose. The guy that. You know, keeps the pre- that takes some of the pressure off the guy that makes you know makes people laugh and you know can just things of like silly games to play in after practice or what you know whatever the case is. Um, and I think you saw a lot of that in Costin last year. Like I don't know how much impact he would have had long term on ice, but his impact in the locker room I think was pretty big. So how do you get that guy? I, I don't know. When. <laughs> No, I don't know. It's, it's tough, but I, I do think that's part of what the Oilers are lacking this year. They had some big personalities, like you look at even guys like Pooley Arby and Yamamoto. Like they, they had, they had the big personalities. They were goofing around, you know. Ham, you know, Yamamoto doing the triple headbutt before games. He had, you know, Clint Costin interacting with Tony Brar and you know, pour, pouring water down each other's shirts, you know. Jesse Pugliarvi is like the human version of a golden retriever. So you know, I'm sure he was a, he was a blast to be around too. So I, I don't know, like on top of all the underlying numbers, I don't know if their mix is quite right this year, which is, it, it's hard. It's a hard thing to find. It's a hard thing to identify. Yeah. It's a, it's a good point to make though. You know, I mean, it isn't, isn't everything that a guy is important. You mentioned someone like a clean cost and you're right. You would see how he would uh, keep the room loose, how he would harass, he would harass Tony Bryan. What? And, after one game, Clean stole my fedora. Clint, uh, yeah. he, stole, he stole my hat one game. Like uh, after the game, <laughs> I'm I'm waiting, waiting for a player. What did I see? Clean tank on my on my head. Took my hat off. <laughs> like, it's like all right, Clean, settle down. Like, uh, you're right. That's, that's the kind of guy. Like that's those are the kind of guys who keep the room light and they're, and they're part of that. And and I mean, there are some guys who do keep the room light, like right, like like a, a Sam Gagne is good at that. They'll be right though. The mix. Yeah. You want to make sure this room is always um in a good spot and. When this team was two nine and one, Jason, you I'd walk into that room after a game and you could just feel the tension. Like you would walk in and it would just feel like it was not a comfortable place yeah. to be. It was in. it was palpable, hey. Like you could walk in there, it was kind of all around you. Yeah, like it was and talking to certain guys like Darnell, like Leon. I mean, I was there in the room when Leon um didn't appreciate the question towards two. Like I thought that was gonna be a pissy volume too. Like I thought, I thought, oh boy, here we go again. <laughs> Like you, like that's the thing. Like I love Leon as a quote, but man, when things don't go right, just just for my own curiosity and probably some fans' curiosity as well. Do you do you get the chance to ask many questions in uh, in press conferences and in the locker room like that, oh, or oh, yeah. do you do most of them to listen? Oh yeah, I've done before times, and to me, to me, he's been good. Like Leon's been good to me, but yeah. like, he, like, but yeah, certain questions. Yeah, certain questions you can tell he doesn't like, and yeah. questions. And any question that might lead him into trying to take a shot at a teammate, he does not like at all. Like he yeah, will he, check you on that. He very like very obviously does not like that. And you see, you know, some of the other people that cover this team that try and get him to say 
things that maybe are unkind about, you know, a guy like Skinner or a guy like Boucher, and he just, he shuts them right down, right, right off the hop. And to me, that's leadership. Like, mm-hmm. if there's any kind of accountability that needs to take place, you do that without media present, without fans present, you know, like exactly. there's nobody else that really needs to be privy to that. Wait, that, that's the one good thing you say all year long is that this is a team of, you've seen before different teams over the years where you might see a player call out an opposing, uh, call out a teammate. Like that's the one thing about the Oilers. You will never yeah. see this team call out a teammate. They'll never, they're banned. Like they are, they will one fall one for each other. Like they'll, they'll always say like this, this year, they've said it's a collective. Even when yeah. Jay was still here, it was never one player was blamed. It was a collective. It was never seen without one player for an issue. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's good because and again, like kind of shifting gears a little bit to uh to coaching, like with Chris Knobloch coming in, one of the thing I, one of the things I really like that he said is it's going to be part of his job to alleviate the pressure somewhat, especially with you know big stars like McDavid and Dry Settle. Like they don't need other people to tell them when they're playing well and when they're not playing well. They they know that. They know that very well. And they put so much pressure on themselves. Um, you know, dry settle specifically. It's 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 honestly hard to watch sometimes how hard he is on on himself and how much pressure he puts on himself. And McDavid does it too. So mm-hmm. if Knobloch can come in and find a way to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, I think that will really help because these guys like every loss, it's it's just <laughs> you know, it's it's like somebody kicked their puppy, right? right. And you, you you don't want that mentality. Like you you want teams that don't. Like they hate to lose, obviously, but it, you can't have doom and gloom every loss because you need to shake it off, and they need to, they need to you know, shake this loss off, and they need to go play well next game because they still need those two points, and they yeah. need every two points they can get from now till the end of the season. No, exactly. As we go to our part of the show, some questions came our way. Here's one question here I got from Conrad Crosert. Uh, um, I know the Flames and Oilers really make trades, but does Dan Vladar mean or is Golden situation any, any better? Dan Vladar, what do you think about that as a, as a solution, Jason? You are you a Dan Vladar guy at all? <laughs> um, he he might be okay as as a one B option, but the challenge is I don't know. I mean, it's a low bar <laughs> to say like, <laughs> is he better than Campbell? Yes, I mean, yes, of course, but you know that is <laughs> that that is not exactly shooting for the stars here. Um. The challenge with Fladar is that I don't know if he's necessarily any kind of an upgrade on what we what we have. Um, looked into his numbers from last year and from this year, and he's he's not playing particularly well. Um, for the right price, I would be cautiously interested, but I I wouldn't be a guy that'd be giving up a lot for Dan Vladar. Um, if they were willing to move Markstrom and retain some, that's a guy I'm more interested in. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Just uh, my worries is that is is Markstrom back yet because after 2022 Markstrom I'm worried that he's still to an extent broken because his game has not recovered to what it was after that series in 2022. To be fair if he doesn't have to play the Oilers anymore he might look pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. That is a that is a really good point. One more question here uh, from Conrad. I see he asked um, he asked maybe um, Nikita Zadorov. Is that a guy you would think you would want to see come to Edmonton? I know I know he's been linked more towards Toronto, New Jersey, and Dallas. What are your thoughts on uh, DLJ bringing Nikita Zadorov to Edmonton? If possible, I mean he'd, he'd certainly bring an element the Oilers need. Uh, his his physicality is impressive. He's he's a pretty good um, pretty good defender as well. Um, 
my question with him, it would be is how much does he play on the right side? Cause I, I know he's a lefty yes. and with nurse and Ekholm and Kulak and Broberg down the left side, I don't know if the left side really needs all that much help. I mean, if he can play the right side, that's, that's interesting. It's worth looking at. Um, but the challenge with that also is, is, you know, what are you looking to get him? And if you're moving, say, uh, if you're moving CC and some picks, I mean, are, are you are you at all better off with him on your right side? It's it's hard to say. I mean, I don't think as poorly as of Cody CC as some others do, um, but I I personally would like to see them target a right-handed defenseman, um, and I think Chris Tanev would be a really good fit for this team. If we're talking about Calgary defensemen that could potentially be available, I'm much more interested in Tanev than I am in uh, in Zatterson. Interesting. All right. Yeah, that's a game. That's a game I wouldn't mind seeing here as well, too. Before I let you go, Jason, I want to ask you, Edmonton plays Florida coming up here. What do you want to see? What do you want to see him improve against Florida? What is the do you want to see him come the most against Florida before they finish their Florida swing here? I would really love to see this team put together a 60-minute game because they're they're having a lot of trouble with it this year. They're having periods. They look absolutely dominant. And then they have periods where they look like they forget they're actually playing a competitive hockey game. So I think if they can bring a consistent effort for 60 minutes, I mean, win or loss, I think that would be an improvement. But I mean, honestly, we like just just win. <laughs> this team needs to win more than it needs anything else. So a moral victory isn't necessarily what this team needs to bring at this point. But I, if they do lose, I would rather they lose putting in a 60-minute effort than having a great period and then a meh period and then a bad period. And, you know, it's, it's Jekyll and Hyde, which team's going to come out of the locker room at this point. So yeah, please play the entire hockey game. That would be great. Yeah, exactly. It's a game of three periods, not a game of 2.5 periods, one third of a period. It's an entire effort that this team is going to have to bring on Monday against Florida. I mean, before we go out, Jason, well, ask people where can you, where can you find you on social media? What's your, Handles on Twitter. What can people find you and your tweets at? Uh, the easiest way to find me is at Adams on Hockey. Um, I'm not really super on to many other social media platforms, but at Adams on Hockey, you can find me on Twitter slash X until Elon breaks it worse, and then I am on uh, <laughs> I'm on Threads. I'm on Blue Sky, but uh, but not very much. Nice, awesome, amazing, Jason. I was going to do the show again. Always a blast talking to you and being blunt about this. Well, of hockey team and hey it, for those watching on youtube and listening on the podcast please support game over edmonton support all of our channels like subscribe follow i'll be back here again hosting for edmonton florida on monday evening until then we are out of here have a good night y'all good night yeah!